0: Hello everyone and welcome to Monsters Never Die, Talk Film Society's spooky season limited series. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt Curione, editor-at-large over at Talk Film Society, and joining me on this journey through the classics and beyond is... Your
1: creepy co-host, Jacob DeNoble. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to get spooky. uh, It's our first episode, so uh, let's introduce
0: ourselves proper. I'm Matt. I live in New Jersey. I love horror movies, and I write and edit for Talk Film Society. What do you do? Tell me a little bit about
1: yourself. I live down here in Maryland. I am a huge monster fan, huge horror fan, and I am actually quoted on the Wikipedia page for Cult Film for reasons I don't entirely understand how they found my article. That is fantastic. I need to look this up. I wrote about it for my hometown newspaper. I did a, a big piece about Rocky Horror Picture Show and all of the references that that film makes that go over a lot of people's heads. That's awesome. So that's, that's my only claim to fame. Bless those anonymous editors. So you and I have actually met in
0: person once before. Yep, at Wrestlemania. At Wrestlemania. Uh, it was my first wrestling event in about 20 years. I had the time of my life. I'm guessing you did
1: too. Oh my god, it was, it was
0: beautiful. It was a good time. It was a good time. And there's some monsters in the ring, but we're going to be talking about some monsters on the screen. How's that, how's that for a segue? Uh, <laughs> now, we basically, I just want to start off by saying we owe this entire show to uh, Carl Lamel Jr., who basically founded Universal Studios, and he was a huge fan of monsters and horror. And without him, we wouldn't have any of the classic Universal monsters that we're going to be discussing. Which brings me back to another great point. What is Monsters Never Die? Should have gotten to that first, right, Jacob?
1: (laughs) Uh, Probably would be a helpful thing for folks to hear.
0: You and I are going to be going through each of the classic Universal Monsters. That's uh, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein, The Phantom of the Opera, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and The Mummy. That's all of them, right? Yes. Then we're going to be discussing the original films, but also some random remakes that have come since then. And they're not always, you know, remake in title, uh, but they are remake in spirit of what the originals tried to achieve.
1: I consider them remakes, adaptations, and knockoffs.
0: Yes, there you go. That works. And our first episode is obviously going to start with the very first universal monster movie of this era, at least. There were, you know, the silent era of, you know, horror films and such. We're not going to really be touching on those all that much. We're going to be talking about Todd Browning's 1931 adaptation of Dracula Starring Bella Lugosi Now, you recently
1: watched this And so did I uh, What are your thoughts on this original film? I'm a huge fan I barely even have to say it for these episodes Because it's going to be true for literally every Universal Monster movie I love Dracula They're pretty good <laughs> I do think it's, it's very much a first step In a way that I think Frankenstein yes. Kind of brings it together more And mm-hmm. maybe creates a more holistic experience But in terms of just energy and imagery and vibe dracula i think has almost one foot still in the silence and you can tell by a lot with like the staging
0: mm-hmm. and even the direction you can tell that they were used to doing silent films and this was like this was a big step for them to actually make a talkie as it were.
1: Yeah, and I just, I love the the kind of dreamlike atmosphere that that, almost, that disparity creates. Frankenstein is practically a modern movie. Yeah. So, at least in pacing-wise. And this is very much not. It's very much slow and deliberate and just Takes kind of washes time. over you like a, like yeah. a bath of blood.
0: Personally, I think it's one of the lesser... ...of the uh, Universal Monster movies, mm-hmm. but I still love it. It's like uh, picking I, the
1: lesser child that you have.
0: Exactly, and, and no one likes that one kid. But <laughs> th- this kid is, he may not be the best, but he's still pretty great. Uh, I absolutely love Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Even if he's not my favorite Dracula, he's damn good at it. And he's got those piercing eyes that really help sell the character. I mean, back then there wasn't a lot of violence on screen, obviously... So it all had to be, like, in a mood and look. And he definitely had that. He had that. He had a great, like, cadence to the way he, like, says the lines. I really do like Lugosi, and that's not anything to, like... Not that it's... By me saying he's not my favorite, that's not to take anything away from him. I mean, he was a legend for a reason. I mean, he's he's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just not my favorite.
1: But he's
0: pretty damn good here.
1: (laughs) You see, for me, he is... I My brain is broken in such a way that I literally only accept him as Dracula. I look at every other person who's ever played Dracula and my brain just goes, that's not Dracula. That's not what Dracula looks like. <laughs> and it's kind of a shame because we only get two universal appearances of Lugosi as Dracula yeah. plus a couple of knockoffs back in the day when he needed money. So I don't get a lot of Dracula movies that really scratch the itch that I need. So I you know I really have to just kind of love this one with all my heart.
0: Now, I have to ask, is this because maybe this was your first Dracula movie? I don't think so. Because I know everyone always says that, you know, your first is your favorite and such.
1: Listening to um, Francis Ford Coppola, his first Dracula was John Carradine and says that he is the best. Okay. Which is an okay. opinion that literally only people who saw him first could have.
0: Yes, this movie, uh, it's pretty good for its time. And I've only ever watched it with the Philip Glass score. Really? Yeah, this I the first time I ever saw this was on DVD. I don't even think I rented it on VHS when I was a kid. Mostly cuz it was like, on TV when I was really young and I just it was on all the time. So I didn't really feel the need to to like really pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I never really never really paid attention when I was a little kid. So the first time I actually sat down and watched this is about oh fifteen twenty 15 20 years ago, I guess when they put out like these really cool like cardboard like deluxe editions mm-hmm. it had like a, it was a double disc and uh, one of the bonus features was featuring a new score uh, by Philip Glass and the Kronos quartet and that's really the only way I've ever watched this movie and I've tried watching it without it and I just I can't do it there's something about that score that just that that, that is Dracula music for me yeah when those when
1: those first two notes hit you know when mm-hmm. it
0: first starts off.
1: Yeah okay, I'm in the mood. This, it helps. So this is actually my first time watching it with the Philip Glass score. I've seen it maybe a handful of times without okay. it, and I love it. I think it creates a very interesting artistic artifact. I don't know if I would consider it a con. It's definitely not a conventional score. But no, not at all. It almost feels supplemental to the movie itself, where you're you're part you're pairing it with a piece of art and you're creating something they've created a new third thing. This isn't a rescored movie. This isn't even just like a silent movie where you've added a score where maybe one didn't exist before. It's because the score is often overwhelming and overpowering and it yeah. it it bleeds over the dialogue. It's it changes the tenor I've noticed of that, yeah. almost everything in a way that is very appealing and very exciting. But I do feel like it's almost I I almost consider that a like a second version of the movie in a way that, like, I wouldn't consider, you know, okay. the two different scores for, say, like, Legend.
0: Ah, uh-huh. oh, yes. yes. Uh, stay tuned for the Ridley Scott podcast, folks. It's gonna happen one day. I keep promising it, and it will happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this one, I, I just really like the score. I mean, without the score, I've watched parts of the movie, and it really does, like you said earlier, play almost like a silent film.
1: I will say, this is the first time watching it with the score that it really, I really even understood how an audience could find this terrifying back in the day. Yes. Like, yes. there were moments that, you know, I, I wasn't sitting shaking in my chair, but they, they, I felt that feeling that I feel people felt back then, that, that creeping dread, mm-hmm. that, that kind of feeling under the skin that is really I get exciting.
0: that, I get that feeling a lot when I watch like older horror films where I'm not scared, I'm more creeped out. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, oh, that's, ooh, that's unsettling. Ooh, I I don't care for this. <laughs> I don't care for it. Turn this off, please. So have you read the uh, the novel before? I read that years ago, and I'm actually in the middle of reading it right now.
1: Okay, excellent. And I guess, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of the adaptation that this takes? You know, it's it's obviously very uh, it's, different, but...
0: It's a lot different, uh, obviously, because this is an adaptation of the stage play. Mm-hmm. And you really, it's its hard to do a lot that's in the novel live. But I do think they, they get the basic story of Dracula up there on the screen. Yeah, back definitely. In, back in 1931. And, I mean, there would be stronger adaptations down the road that, you know, we'll discuss in a few minutes. Uh, but what they did at the time uh, was pretty stellar. They got the basic story of Dracula, which adaptations for me don't need to be exactly like The source material. Mm -hmm. If you get the basic vibe, I'm more than happy to take you at your worth and be like, okay, this is what you're going for? I get it now. Mm -hmm. Like when you watch Stuart Gordon's uh, From Beyond. It's a lot different from the original Lovecraft story. Yeah. It's a lot longer than the original Lovecraft story. I believe the original Lovecraft story is not even 20 pages. Mm -hmm. But it gets the basic vibe across and yes, that's all I need.
1: I think one of the um, one of the adaptation choices that they made that I think actually works really well in its favor is the decision to um, blend Renfield and Harker into kind of a single character. Yes, and I think that that creates such a compelling opening to this movie because as the movie begins, Renfield is. The audience identification character, and I think for a lot of audiences who are maybe watching this for the first time, someone they assume is going to be the lead character in the movie.
0: He's going to be the hero.
1: Yeah, and yeah. within you 20-30 know, minutes, he is completely under Dracula's thrall, and it turns out that the lead character of Dracula is pretty much just Dracula. Yeah, Dracula is the lead here. Like, I guess you could maybe make an argument for Van Helsing but he really doesn't show up until much later and he's more of a foil
0: which is the thing with a lot of Dracula adaptations Van Helsing doesn't show up right away. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, "Oh yeah, he's like the lead character." No, he's not. I mean, you're it usually you get a person who's playing Van Helsing who's such a strong performer that you latch onto that and you're like, "Oh yeah, he's in like the
1: whole movie." Mm-hmm. Nope, unless you're talking about Van Helsing in which he is literally in the whole movie. We don't talk about Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we might talk about Van Helsing when we get to the mummy one day.
0: Oh, we'll have to. <laughs> oh, we'll have to. Oh, Stephen
1: Summers, what happened to you?
0: Do you have like a certain favorite aspect or part of this movie? A favorite scene, perhaps?
1: So I think one of the, I don't know, maybe I just assume this is an accepted truth. I think the strongest portion of Dracula as a story is that opening with Renfield or Harker and Yes. Meeting Dracula and there's just so many good lines about, you know, the spider and the fly. Children and of the night. Children of the night. I never drink wine. wine. Which is such a yes. such a great yuck line. Like
0: <laughs> Oh, it's great. And it's in like every
1: adaptation. I, mean, and I love it. It's just It's Dracula being silly, which I kind of like. I like when he's a little playful. Yeah, just like winking
0: at you. He's like, "Oh, I don't drink wine. (laughs) Oh, what do you drink?
1: (laughs) As somebody who doesn't drink wine, I I should probably start using that line more often.
0: Yes. For me, it's the fact that uh, I've... It's not a certain scene, but it's basically the whole set design of this thing. Yes. I love Dracula's castle. I love how it looks. I love Dracula's lair with all the coffins, and I believe I mentioned this to you, but I love the fact that every creature in his lair has a coffin, even the tiny little bumblebee. I love the the, the
1: bee coffin.
0: The honeybee has a coffin, and it's like, okay, Dracula, you're being cute. I
1: get it. It, This is brilliant. (laughs) Now, I I do have to ask, are we supposed to believe that's a vampire bee? I would hope so. (laughs)
0: It's what I've thought for years. That's a little vampire bee. Eating other vampires' blood. Like
1: other, like bee blood. I was just about to ask, this might be exposing my own biological ignorance. Do bees have blood? Uh. I. Um.
0: (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Listeners, if you know if bees have blood, uh, please DM us on Twitter and you get a prize.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's what happens when a bee eats another bee's honey. Yeah, I guess maybe they just have honey for blood. I don't know how bees work. I, l- I just know they're very important. Dracula has a like a whole <laughs> just menagerie of animals. Like, there's an armadillo at one point just hanging which around, which is terrifying. Not an animal I associate with <laughs> Transylvania. No, no, you
0: you associate that with Texas or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not
1: or Themisera from Wonder yes. Woman.
0: Yes, not no, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there's a vampire bee, and that's my favorite part of this movie.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's an acceptable and appropriate answer.
0: <laughs> okay, now let's move on to some of the other versions of Dracula. Have you, spe- have you seen Spanish Dracula?
1: I have seen Spanish Dracula. Okay.
0: For years, everyone had told me that it's the superior version, and it's a lot better.
1: I think I know I where dis- you're going, and I am right I, there with you. I
0: disagree wholeheartedly.
1: Yikes. Yeah, I think that that is something that because the introduction to the uh, the Spanish version on the DVD and Blu-ray just has a bunch of people saying that it's the superior version.
0: It's so good. It's so good. Blah blah blah.
1: I think a lot of people just repeat that as if
0: it's true. Yeah, as that's 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 the canon that the Spanish version is better. I will say it looks nicer. Uh, it's got a lot more interesting like camera movements and such, but it is way too long. It drags it drags so hard throughout the second and third acts like it's just it's a very slow plotting movie
1: i watched it once and i'll probably never watch it again i have the problem where like i said if it's not bella Lugosi, i don't really buy it as dracula yeah. and yeah. that 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 film has that that same problem i do think on the whole i think a lot of dracula adaptations do drag in the second and third acts I a can lot see of that, time yeah. like Conceptually, I'm interested in the Lucys being bitten. We have to figure this out. But I I feel like it usually loses a little seam there because we're not in these Gothic castles anymore. We're in kind of just a regular room where... Mm the characters are so far behind where we are that it's not necessarily tense it's more just like okay all right can we get on with this a little bit and then you know but it's it's
0: it's still effective because you know dracula is like around the periphery mm-hmm. i remember when i was a kid i took out the audiobook of dracula from the library Ooh. listened to it on cassette mm-hmm. uh, in in a in my bedroom dark late at night and the thing actually scared the crap out of me it gave me nightmares yeah Uh, I forget who who was reading the book, but it was really good. And some of those scenes where they're trying to figure out what's wrong with people is some of the scariest stuff
1: in the book. Yes, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. It's just one of those things where it's hard to capture on film. There is an audiobook version that is read by Christopher Lee that is... Just oh an, yes, please, I need this. It's an absolute treat. You can find it even on YouTube and it's Oh, that's fantastic. It's a clean eighty four minutes, so I think it's a little abridged. But uh so if you're you know if there is a stormy night this Halloween season Turn off the lights, put on a candle, and listen to Christopher Lee read Dracula, the man was born to do it. He's pretty good. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about any of his Draculas. I actually recently watched all of them for a uh, another podcast oh, wow. okay. that I do um, called The Final Chapter, where I watch every entry in a movie franchise. And okay. Not too much to say other than that franchise takes a truly bizarre path from the first to the last one. Yeah, doesn't he like go to, go to the 70s and stuff? So that's about halfway through <laughs>
0: Oh boy So um, the
1: first one is a pretty straight adaptation of the novel They swap some character names around This and, is
0: uh, the Horror of Dracula, right? Yes, Horror of Dracula okay.
1: here in England It was just Dracula um, This is
0: the version that I've seen This is the the only Christopher Lee Dracula
1: film I've seen Okay, I would rec... They're mostly I liked very good I I, I honestly I think they it. get better than that Okay But um, yeah, so we we get a bunch in the old days Then he comes to the 70s And that one's actually great and then there's a spy one where yes, he's trying to destroy the world. That one's pretty good. Sure. And then there's the uh, the martial arts one, which is just an absolute sure. hoot. Where it's a, sure. a co-production with the Shaw Brothers. Of course it is. So that, it's just it's very weird. <laughs> like if you were to watch just the first one and just the last one, you feel like there's definitely something you're missing there.
0: You'd be like, he definitely went to space at one point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever
1: been a Dracula in space movie? Of course. It wasn't. Didn't Dracula 2000 take place in space? I don't think so I think that just took Because that was made in 2000 like, okay, That there wasn't has the to future be, There has to be space Dracula I mean, maybe Life Force counts? <laughs> yeah, Life Force is kind of space Dracula Horny space, space Dracula
0: Okay, so there was one It came out in 2004 It's called Dracula 3000 Okay and it stars Casper <laughs> Van Dien Alright Coolio Alright they encounter bloodthirsty vampires aboard a derelict spaceship. Sure.
1: Hey, tiny listeners in this? All
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, a blast and a half that I will have to see if it's available on YouTube. Dracula because, 3000
1: uh, makes Leprechaun 4 in space look like alien, says David Oliver of chud.com, according to Wikipedia. Wow.
0: Chud, that's a deep cut. I've right? <laughs> heard that. Website name in years. All right, let's move forward a couple years. We're going to talk about... Well, I'm going to talk about it because you haven't seen Dracula from 1979, directed by John Badham, based on the, at the time, uh, current Broadway revival starring Frank Langella. And this is one of my favorite adaptations. I prefer this to the Legosi. This is probably my second favorite Dracula film. Langella is amazing in this. Uh, he's got, like, this... He was born with a condition with his eyes where they kind of twitch hmm. uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. Like they'll like, they'll like shift back and forth and they zoom in on his eyes when he's like staring at someone's throat in this and his eyes will twitch back and forth. Like he's got a bloodlust. Oh, that's cool. And I never noticed that until tonight. And I pointed it out. I was like, that is creepy. More of this, please. Uh, absolutely love him as Dracula. Uh, Laurence Olivier plays Van Helsing with, like, a thick German accent. Uh, It's pretty fabulous. And I love him as Van Helsing. Uh, Again, not my favorite Van Helsing. We'll get to my favorite Van Helsing in a few minutes. But I love this movie. Uh, It's got a real uh, great gothic look. Uh, You get Donald Pleasance playing Dr. Jack Seward, who runs the asylum, which is pretty cool. This is a great cast. The cast is phenomenal. Then you have a bunch of, uh, you know, British actors. And... Not related to the film, but I found out tonight that after Langella left to uh, Broadway to make the film, his replacement in the play was Raul Julia. Oh, that would be lovely! I would love to see a Raul Julia Dracula film. Oh my God, that would uh, mm. be fantastic! You get Gomez Adams. <laughs> Talking about the temperatures of Waikiki Except he's in Transylvania It would be great, I would love to see that You can see this movie now, it's on uh, It's on Blu-ray from Universal I would recommend waiting till November though, listener For the new Scream Factory release Years ago, the director desaturated the entire color palette uh, When this was first in theaters, it was shot in Technicolor Because the studio wanted him to shoot it in color uh, He wanted to shoot it in black and white so what he did in the early 90s When this came to Laserdisc was Desaturate the entire thing Basically the only color in the movie is Red when there's blood on the screen Which honestly is a really cool choice But I would love to see this with all the lush Colors and seems like in November I finally will And so will everyone else God bless the
1: good people at Shot Factory They they do pretty good work And yeah, God bless John work. Badham Should be yeah, John you know. Goodham Ah uh, <laughs> <laughs> Now
0: let's get to another Dracula, which was my first Dracula. Oh, that's, that's and, a uh, cute children's book. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Baby's first Dracula. Uh, okay, this is uh, 1992 Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, <laughs> starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, uh, current uh, indie darling Richard E. Grant, who has always been great. Oh, yes. And the guy from uh, Robin Hood and Saw, whose name I can never pronounce. Carrie Elwes? Carrie Elwes. There you go. That's, I thought it was Elwes. I, I, yeah, I can't say that guy's name. Maybe I've just name.
1: assumed. Who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with yours. Yours sounds good. This was a seminal film for me.
1: Hold uh, on. You, you, I just have to interrupt, because you mentioned two of the three Lucy suitors, and I don't want to leave out my good friend, the Rocketeer, Bill Campbell.
0: I have recently turned against him.
1: Oh, is he? Completely and totally. Is is he problematic? He played a really problematic
0: character in a movie that I saw recently. Oh, okay. And I recently saw the Jennifer Lopez film Enough, where he is a horribly abusive husband to her. Mm -hmm. That movie ruined him for me. And I know that movie came out 15 years ago, but guess what? I just saw it for the first time, so
1: I don't like him anymore. (laughs) I guess you can say that you've had enough.
0: I have had enough, Jacob. (laughs) Oh, also, Tom Waits is in this, and and he's great, as always. Tom Waits' Renfield is a, an inspired choice. It is inspired. I, 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 would, I would say that this movie is filled with inspired choices.
1: Sometimes the inspiration was not great.
0: But <laughs> for me, this is a movie you need to be on its level. Mm-hmm. And I am on this movie's level. This movie works 120% for me. I saw this at a really young age. Every once in a while, I would stay over my sister's house up north, and she would let us stay up late and watch whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. This was on, I believe, HBO or Cinemax one night, and I stayed up and watched this. It came on at like one in the morning. Yeah. And that's the first time Little Matt saw boobs. It did nothing for me, <laughs> but it's a fun memory to have. <laughs> this movie has my favorite Dracula, Gary Oldman. It has my favorite Van Helsing and Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins is batshit crazy in this movie. He is. Every Everything he does is just... Off the chain. I mean, he just came off of winning an Oscar, so he I guess he figured, I can just mess around. I can go crazy. Watch me chug this beer and eat
1: this raw steak while I'm yelling at Keanu Reeves. I'm going to have fun with this. So apparently Coppola hates Van Helsing in the novel. He said okay, whenever he right. read the novel, Van Helsing was the most boring character to him. So when he cast Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> he pretty much just said... Please, for the love of God, do whatever you can to liven this character up. <laughs> I'm I'm boy down did with whatever he. you want to do.
0: <laughs> boy, did he liven it up! This movie, I love it. I, I love the visual look. I love the effects. I know a lot, a lot of people don't like this movie, and they always blame Keanu Reeves. And that's fine. He says Budapest weird, and he <laughs> I says, was gonna he's, I
1: was gonna bring that up, but uh,
0: and he says Carfax Abbey very strangely. Uh, That's one of my celebrity impressions, Keanu Reeves saying Carfax (laughs) and you'll get, like, no more out of me. Um, He's fine. Like,
1: he's not... Like, I don't watch a Dracula movie um, for Jonathan Harker. I think if they hadn't have asked him to do an accent, he would actually be perfect. Oh, yeah. I think he he does a great job in that role as almost this impotent husband who is just yeah. becomes weaker and weaker as the film goes on and is just an adorable little button and it, his his main problem is just that he has a very hard time with that accent and yeah so does Winona to be honest but, she but gets, she's Winona she gets a little more to do too so she she's,
0: she's Winona she finally got to work with Coppola after not being able to work with him earlier mm-hmm. so like it's basically like Coppola finally got the actress he wanted. Yeah, which good for him. I think she's pretty good. Yeah. in this movie, um, I do love the suitors
1: uh, in this. I, so the suitors are one of like one of my favorite elements of Dracula, and they get cut out out of pretty much every adaptation, every
0: every version, and almost every version. You don't have the three suitors. I
1: I, I do like the casting on this is I. You know, despite your newfound hatred of Billy Campbell, is just the <laughs> most amazing trio of people. Like every time I see them, I just get hyped because I would love to see that trio of actors do literally anything.
0: Anything, anything. Uh, I'm a big Richard E. Grant fan.
1: Hudson Hawk, baby.
0: I still need to see that one, <laughs> <laughs> but I really, I really like him. I. Anytime he pops up in something, I, I always, I, I bring up a little smile. I'm like, oh. Richard E. Grant, look at you. I'm still very sad he didn't win the Oscar last year, but I'll move on. I'll get over it. He was really good in that movie. Uh, He's also really good here as the, uh, I guess, morphine-addicted doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which, uh, that's a nice touch. Uh, I, I like that. That's
1: fun. Gary Oldman. What do you think of him? So, Gary Oldman's Dracula, I, like everybody, I love his intro. Yes. not just the, the the moment but that 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 version of the character i don't know if they intended it but is easily the iconic version of dracula from this movie yes like that is the, the that is the image of dracula weird, that they the have added to the weird buns on
0: his head mhm the the red robe
1: yes uh, i think gorgeous. they never quite capture that level of iconography again throughout the no, film like no. Him as the, like, the romantic lead is fine, but it's more just, like, fancy hat, crazy sunglasses, weird goatee. Fun mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Fun mustache. Yeah. His his, his uh, opening costume is, is great. The uh, the red armor mm-hmm. that, um... And the makeup is
0: great. Yes. Uh, I love his hairy hands.
1: <laughs> it's, like, really creepy,
0: but I love it. Mm-hmm. I love his interactions with uh, with Keanu here. Another thing I love here is the set design of Dracula's castle. It's it, it harkens back to the original uh, Lugosi castle at times. I re- I really like it. I, I like I said earlier. I love the the visual effects. I I don't know if you've watched or anyone has watched the the bonus features. Uh, how every visual effect was done in camera.
1: Yeah, so the idea I think Coppola talks about is that because this is a turn of the century, you know, story, he wanted to kind of try and capture it with the same techniques that would have existed at the time yes. that Dracula the novel takes place. And this Which is crazy. This is actually my 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 hot take on this film. So, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm about to come in hot. So I, I really enjoy this film. I um, there are there are a few things that rub me a little bit the wrong way, or I think aren't quite. Is entirely it the wolf? Successful.
0: Is it the, the werewolf? No, I
1: love the werewolf. The werewolf's great. Okay, werewolf's great. <laughs> but uh, so Francis Ford Coppola, you know, he he came up with this idea for how he wanted to do the effects, and he apparently you know hired special you know Hollywood special effects technicians. And there's a great feature on on the Blu-ray where it's an inter- yeah. it's like him talking to them and just like losing his shit and eventually just firing them. Because they were... He brings in his nephew, right? He brings in his son, Roman. Yeah, he's like, hey, Roman, you do this. He's like, "Uh, okay. So so my hot take on this film is... So Roman not only did the special effects, but he directed all of the second unit. And the second unit on this film was much more robust than a second unit generally is. He had access to the actors. Pretty much every major special effects sequence was shot by Roman instead of Francis Ford. And... Honestly, you know, you can't take away a film from a director. You know, a director does more than just being the guy behind the camera. But the scenes in this movie that speak to me the most, the times that I think Francis Ford Dr- Coppola's Dracula is most successful, are all of the sequences that Roman filmed. Okay, that's fair. And I wouldn't really even say that's a hot take. Like the opening sequence of the train, just the train going into. Budapest <laughs> and, Budapest Budapest Yes And uh, the um, You know the, the, the overlays And how they've built The oversized book That the model train Travels over And that casts the Which shadow Onto the book That's crazy It's, it's lovely It's all Old time magic effects It's all Old Movie time magic. special effects It's you know Covering a part of the camera So the film doesn't get exposed And then removing mm-hmm. that So that the film Can get exposed When you're shooting Something else I love that Sense of play and that sense of Kind of trickery And that's Roman yeah. But it's also It's it's Francis Ford's idea So you know how much I'm not going to say I wish He had just given the entire film to his son But See I was saying earlier uh, uh, To a friend of
0: mine that I love Francis Ford Coppola as a director I really like it when he makes movies When he clearly went insane Making the movie (laughs) Like, my favorite Coppola films are this and Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. and he went insane making both of these. Like, I'm surprised that he hasn't been committed multiple times. Who knows? He might have been committed multiple times, because he's rich, and he can cover that stuff up. But the man is insane. When he is out of his gourd, he makes a masterpiece, at least for me. Uh,
1: Godfather's fine. It's, it's no Apocalypse Now. He does defend Jack still So he might have been out of his gorge then And accidentally made a bad
0: movie Okay, the fact that he's still defending Jack (laughs) Is insane to me Um, How anyone could defend Jack It's Jack You can't defend Jack
1: My dad loved Jack, and I don't know why
0: Oh, God Well, I mean, it's Robin Williams It's hard not to love a movie with Robin Williams But Mm. Jack Jack With the reverse, the the Benjamin Button movie Yep
1: (laughs) Ugh. So I don't like I don't like Jack. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about how I feel like this movie has a very interesting genesis, which is essentially Columbia Pictures going, "Hey, look, we know that the Universal monsters are like Universal's whole deal, yeah. but they're just sitting on these guys, and these bastards are public domain. So why don't we try?" Mm-hmm. And so they were originally exactly. going to make a trilogy. With Coppola directing all three parts of Dracula, Frankenstein, and then a werewolf movie. Okay. And um, after Dracula, Coppola was kind of like, I, I kind of said all I have to say. Which, yeah. you're damn right, <laughs> you did. You put every ounce of yourself into I this movie. I literally said everything in this movie. So he ended I up, put everything into this. <laughs> so he ended up producing uh, Brando's Frankenstein. And then they, I'm not sure if he's a credit as a producer on uh, the Jack Nicholson wolf. Which was the third part of this, this trilogy that they had played. Yeah. And one of the things I want to get Ooh, to I can't wait to talk about that one. <laughs> when we, we talk about these um, these remakes is that I'm very interested not necessarily in how they justify themselves creatively, because I think, you know, there is always there's always something new to bring to the table, but yeah. how do they justify themselves to an audience? How do you make an audience go mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we we wanna see Dracula? I'll check it out, yeah. And I think, actually, honestly, out of all of the Universal Monster remakes, this one does the best job at making a movie that feels large and feels necessary to come see and feels yep. like an event upon itself. It sells itself. Yes. I don't know if they've ever recaptured that as much as they've tried. No. I. It's possible. We'll, we'll get to those. This movie, I think, has three kind of central selling points to it. Okay. And I think one of them is the, the special effects the, We want mm-hmm. to do this all old fashioned And that's going to be a visual experience You've never seen before Old time yes. And honestly just the visual look of the film As a whole is kind of one aspect Of the, um, of the selling points to the film
0: I will say visually This looks gorgeous I picked up the, uh, the new 4K mm. restoration And listeners if you have a 4K TV You need this release This is demo material It looks better than most movies in my library. Uh, They did a really good job. They uh, pumped up the color with the HDR and it just, oh, this movie sings like Children of
1: the Night would. (laughs) Put that on the box. I'd say, I think the other two kind of selling points are that it's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So this is, we are doing the novel for the first time, you know. We're, we're including everything that they've left out. We're not taking any of the diversions that they like to make. You know, we're, we're making the novel version of Dracula. Which I think we is a the very <laughs> good impulse. Yeah. But then it conflicts with kind of the third selling point. Which was, we're going to rope in kind of a reincarnation love story. The love story is where this film falls apart for me. I, oh, okay. That's interesting. You can't decide to simultaneously say... We are going to do Bram Stoker's Dracula. We're going to include everything everybody else left out. You know, this is the novel put to screen, and we're going to do it visually in a way that you've never seen before. That's a movie. But then they go, okay, also we want to introduce this through line that is not from the novel. I'm just not that compelled by. Personally, I like the, the romance in Bram,
0: in Coppola's film, only because I like these actors. Yeah. And I think,
1: I think they can pull it off. I think if... They hadn't have dedicated themselves to making the rest of the not like I would like the romance if there was more time to focus on the romance if we were able to develop it. But as it goes we just kind of have one scene like about halfway through and then maybe like one other scene and then we're just supposed to kind of go along with it and buy into it and we keep cutting to other characters. We keep you know focusing on Lucy suitors we keep focusing on Lucy and we just we lose that narrative through line but then every time it pops up the movie just kind of. Halts for it to really, it just takes over for a yeah. scene or two. So, would you recommend the remakes that you've seen? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, okay,
0: uh, same here, obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Coppola's film is is marvelous. I, I, I love the movie. I even though I, you know, I, I maybe I lose a issues. little steam about halfway through, but the end of the film is just there's a, a, it's wild. Yeah, it's
0: the ending. The ending. This movie goes buck wild. Yeah, and uh, that's a phrase I'll be using a lot going forward. I guess that brings us to the end of the episode, mm-hmm. and the way that we're going to end every episode is we're going to talk about this monster's counterpart in Monster Squad. <laughs> okay, this bring it brings it all together because basically all of these monsters minus the bride and the phantom are represented quite well in Monster Squad. This is my 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 third favorite Dracula, Duncan Rager, in Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love him the film. Uh, this is a movie I grew up on. I had it on VHS. There was a summer where I watched this every day after uh, every, when I came home from, from summer camp. Uh, yes, I went to summer camp, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I was a small suburban child and my parents wanted me out of the house. Yeah, I would watch Monster Squad all the time. I would idolize these kids. Uh, I re-watched it recently and this time I actually realized how much better it works for adults than it does for kids. I mean, because kids movies in the 80s are basically like they're made for adults. Yeah. But when you're a child, you don't really realize this thing, and you don't get the references or the jokes that are made for the adults who like are forced to watch these movies with kids. That's a whole sidetrack. I love this Dracula. I love his car, his badass hearse that he drives. Um, I love that he throws dynamite at people. I love uh, that they use a slice of pizza to stop him in one scene. He's really, really, really cool, and... There's a scene that actually scares me in this movie. It's when the lightning strikes and his face turns into a skull. I think that's pretty... That's cool. That is cool. Um, I wish Fred Decker hadn't been destroyed by Robocop 3. <laughs> or, or maybe we have got would have gotten more films from him. Because he hasn't directed anything since Robocop 3. And that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Fred decker innocent.
1: Uh, <laughs> except for The Predator, in which Fred Decker may be kind of guilty. <laughs> It's fine <laughs> it, That movie is fine I, I want to ask you What is your favorite Dracula power or weakness?
0: Power is being to uh, control people's minds That glimmer, that allure that he has
1: yeah, So you're a creep people. Yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm weird uh, What's yours? I'd say probably turned into a wolf or something That's
0: pretty cool Yeah, he's like That's an cool. anamorph You could like rob banks with like controlling people's minds
1: I'm a wolf, what do I need bank for? You need money Not a if I'm thought. a
0: wolf <laughs> <laughs> This is true This is true My least favorite is garlic Because I like pizza mm. And I wouldn't be able to survive With that
1: I lo- it, it rarely shows uh, I up like- But I, I love when vampires have to stop and count anything Yes, yes, it's fun And the, uh, uh, the Hammer films get a lot out of running water Almost too much No, oh, damn, he,
0: I'll have to check these out Yeah,
1: he, the, a vampire at one point gets stopped by a shower in the in the 70s (laughs) sure is it the martial arts one (laughs) no no that's okay this episode's gone off the rails and it didn't take us all that long to do it
0: uh okay let's wrap it up where can the people find you online jacob
1: uh you can find me online at jacob underscore denoble that's d-e-n-o-b-e-l like the nobel prize uh i'm on twitter way too much (laughs) same uh, as for me,
0: you can find uh, me online, basically any social media with at the real Matt C, uh, except no substitutes. Uh, you can find me over at Talk Film Society, where I do some editing and writing every once in a while. And you can find me on Letterboxd, where you can follow along with, you know, the movies I watch and uh, my hot takes. I don't have many. I honestly don't have many. Hopefully by next the next episode, we'll have a good closing clincher line. Uh, but for now, I just want to say, remember... Monsters never die.